0: Welcome to The Backlog, a podcast hosted by Adaptivate. I'm Katie Cords, Head of Branded Content. Adaptivate partners with clients to accelerate outcomes
1: by implementing new transformative ways of working.
0: We are a global firm with offices in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. This episode of The Backlog is hosted by Priscilla Kukui, a senior consultant from the Sydney office. In this episode, Priscilla sits down with four human-centred design experts from four different agencies and organisations who share their thoughts on current design thinking trends. Trust me, it's really fascinating. This is a thought-provoking conversation and they reveal what they're truly passionate about when it comes to HCD. Enjoy the show.
2: Welcome to the backlog a podcast hosted by Adapt Ovate, and I'm Priscilla Kukui. I'm super happy to uh, have you uh, with us today. Uh, thank you for joining us.
0: Thank you for having us. Very thank excited you. to be
3: here. Great. Uh, so I am Serena Lee. I am a strategic designer at Isobar. Uh, so Isobar is a global creative experience agency. Um, but the, the area that I work in mostly is is really around the transformation consulting and business design area. So that's what we do in the strategic design lens. And um, I guess it's probably important to make the distinction around um, working strategic design, not design strategy. Um, so we work with design strategists, but the job that we really perform is to um, help businesses implement future, future-driven design principles so that they can stay innovative, stay competitive. Um, and obviously, with with humans that <laughs> with that approach as well. Um, so we do a lot of crossovers with service design at scale, um, in terms of how we craft products and services from a, from a customer end to end perspective. Um, but mostly focusing on organizational transformation, strategy, and how we how we do you know, build operating models and enable change readiness and and whatnot. And um, I have had a, a bit of a, a varied career so far. I actually started as a as a designer, more in the creative ends, working in communications and graphic design, and that's where I, you know, first put on my my human centered design hat. Um, and then I took a bit of a, a pivot and um, started my own business and started working in the ag tech space um, around innovative technologies for indoor farming. And that that's when I started to bolt on a few different um, skills more from a business design perspective and customer value propositions and creating disruption in emerging markets and through, through that transition then working a little bit with corporates as our customers working in corporate innovation in that space it sort of led me to want to pair all of the things that I love doing and that I'm good at from my history into this role that I find myself in now which is working in in strategic design. So it's a a bit of the best of of both worlds for me. I get to problem solve for a living. Um, I get to work with creatives. I get exposed to lots of different industries and solving problems that are quite small and solving problems that are quite large as well. Um, And we get to to think about how to have the best impact for customers and for the people at the center of it um, always. Uh, So that's me, and what what about you, Avi? Um,
4: Uh, Thanks, Um, hopefully there's not too much background noise. I am at work, as you can see. Um, Usually there's no one here, but of course today there are people around. Um, Thank you for the invite and for your introduction as well. Um, I think I have a slightly more traditional trajectory, dare I say, Um, but um, in my present role I I lead, very large design cohort at telstra so both design and research i'm one of the three with three heads of ux believe it or not but we have more than 170 people so you do need a few Um, so i look look after um consumer and small business um as well as the overall capability around design research which is really my own interest particularly the human human computer interaction side Um, but as 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 serena mentioned um with experience and you know more strategic responsibilities you, you tend to do much more than what you used to um, and I'm no exception um, uh, in terms of my career it has been like I said a little more predictable I am a career UXer started uh, in India at the time when this field was taking off so um, you know in, in the early 2000s uh, have had the luxury and the opportunity of working in five countries, uh, in the, in the United States, uh, in Singapore, UK, New Zealand, and Australia. Uh, different different companies, mostly um, mostly in, in the technology space, but also a little bit of banking and fintech. Um, so again, just uh, just someone who's enjoyed the growth of the industry and someone who enjoys uh, you know, building capabilities as part of large organizations. Most of my career has been in large companies. I think there's been one exception to that rule. Uh, that company went bust, uh, but hopefully that's not on me. Um, <laughs> and in terms of um, one particular area of interest for me these days is uh, the intersection of um, of, of user experience from a, uh, you know, from a capability capability building perspective and how do we model teams, organizations, and practices to integrate what we, you know this should have been a question that we've answered, uh, to be honest, but we haven't been able to, in my opinion. And I'm also trying to focus on what this co- post-COVID world, a world where we're working from home, especially as creative professionals, what does that mean to people like us? Uh, I think there is a cost that we pay um, by by working remotely. I think we know about the advantages, but not enough of the disadvantages. And a lot of my recent focus, some of it due to personal interest, but also some of it due to you know due to my the nature of my work, has been centered around these um, you know these challenges, if I can call them in a post-COVID world. Um, I'll stop there and hand over to maybe to Vida, and we can come back to to more questions later.
1: Sure, thank you, Avi. Um, Hi, everyone. My name is Vida Srila. I'm currently Head of Experience Design in Endeavour Group uh, Limited. you know, I was actually at Telstra before I moved to this role as a service design lead. So um, I said at some point, all designers have been working at Telstra in Sydney <laughs> or in Australia, I would say. Um, so at the moment, um, I'm leading uh, four for main capabilities uh, in design, which is service design, UX, UI, and um, optimization or conversion rate optimization as well. We've got around 30 of us and uh, we are growing pretty quick uh, right now. So the team started about two years ago years ago from six and now we're 30 and still recruiting six more roles, so pretty fast paced environment, Um, but in terms of career progression myself or the journey as a human centered designer, um, I actually studied in uh, broadcasting and architecture. So my education is architecture design. So I work in more built environment design and uh, I work as a radio host and also as a fixer. So I'm always interested in people. So I did a lot of interview, but more for TV and radios uh, point of view uh, at the time, so so that was uh, when I was still studying architecture as well. And then in when I did my uh, last degree in architecture, I actually started to branch out into entrepreneurship. So that's what gives me exposure to a different way of practicing design. And that makes me really interested in service design or, um, you know, like uh, what you call placemaking and stuff like that, exploring a little bit more beyond traditional architecture. So then I start to join um, consultancy uh, firms. So where uh, we work with um, corporate innovation. So I did a lot of uh, uh, lean startup and then also teaching kind of like a corporate on how to implement services, surface design to learn from uh, startup world and implement that into big organization and stuff like that. Did that for about five years, and then I moved to um, as a surface designer, more focusing on surface design into the client side. As you probably a lot of people could relate, you work in the agency side, and you didn't get a full visibility. Then you want to go into the client side to get a little bit more, and that's when led uh, landing me now in the uh, design lead position. So that's me. Um, also, I just add a little bit as well that related to the next topic. My passion is actually social impact and um, community and youth uh, empowerment or engagement, you like to say, because I did have my own startup as well before, where I set up a company called uh, Copy Culture, where we bring um, Australian student um, both business school and design school to go to Indonesia where I'm from to work with the local entrepreneurs over there and the local student to utilize services uh, design thinking and lean startup and how to create a new business ideas for uh, the community basically so that's me and I guess it goes to you Bernwin.
0: Hi everyone. So my name is Bronwyn Vandermever and I lead Fjord here in Australia and across uh, the Asia Pacific. Um, I started my career uh, back in London in uh, sort of the late 1919, early 2000 and I got my very first job back then um, at the BBC. And I was back in the day when you did everything, you were a producer, you were writing the content, you were doing the dev, you were doing the design, basically you just did everything. And my very first job was actually designing the website for Radio 2, BBC Radio 2, which is like the biggest radio website in, in Australia. And I remember working, I was so proud to be able to say that I was a web designer. I was really super proud. And I worked my ass off on this first um, this first web design project. I worked like nights and days, week, weekends. And um, I remember when it eventually launched, I, I was super thrilled. And I went to a party that Saturday night. And I told someone, um, they asked me what I did. And I said, oh, I'm a web designer. And I said, oh, amazing. What have you done? And I was like, well... I've just launched the Ready2 website. And he's like, oh, amazing, show me. And so we went into his his study and switched on his computer and we um, dialed up the modem, you know, with all because it was a very long time ago. And I typed in the URL and pressed send, pressed enter. And then we waited and we waited and we waited. And after about five minutes, about a third of the page had downloaded. And I was just mortified. I was so, so embarrassed. And um, I had basically never tested the website outside of our offices. I'd never tested it in context. I'd never sent tested on a dial-up modem. And I had to go back on the Monday in absolute, you know, with my head hanging in shame and redesign the whole thing. Um, And that for me was when I basically was converted to human-centered design to really understanding the context in which people use and experience the technology their home environment um, and that was really back in the early 2000s and it was just around the time it was just before the big dot-com sort of boom and bust and that was when everyone discovered this thing called human-centered design. Um, so uh, I then worked at the BBC for about 10 years and uh, it was eventually the head of design, one of the four heads of design, also a very big team like you Abby, it was a team of about 120 designers Um, And one of the things that I did there was the global experience language gel, which was one of the sort of probably one of the first um, design systems um, created and it was a passion project that took about four years and I worked, uh, worked on that, along with all sorts of other things BBC iPlayer and a a whole bunch of other big BBC kind of components of that website. Um, And then I moved back to Australia with my sons, uh, my son and daughter and my husband, my English husband. Um, and worked at a place called Massive Interactive for a couple of years, designing a lot of sort of uh, in-flight entertainment systems and video on demand kind of experiences, set top boxes. And then um, I got tapped on the shoulder to set up Fjord here in Australia. That was because I'd actually asked Fjord to do some work for me when I was at the BBC. So I was the the client turned employee. So they hired me um, seven or eight years ago to set up Fjord here in Australia and it's been an amazing experience and an absolute pri- privilege and I work with some really incredible people as a part of the Accenture Interactive and Accenture business, designing, building, communicating and running, you know, great, great customer uh, experiences, employee experiences, citizen experiences, uh, have a really amazing team of talented designers and I feel super honoured to, uh, to, you know, to work with them every day. And, um, yeah, we do everything from service design to product design to business design uh, um, and everything else in between. And, yeah, I'll, I don't know whether you want us to talk about the trends right now. Maybe we will, we'll come back to that in a minute, Priscilla, shall we?
2: Yes, we, uh, we will actually just uh, move in here. So um, I'm really happy to have you, not only because you have such a large broads. Um, of experience and career paths but also because we cross at um, different paths along my life and I really value all of you your human side Uh, so uh, so yeah so thank you so much for sharing your your story just now and um to provide a bit of context on uh, where you came from, I think that it will assist us in my next next questions, which is really around um, what your head is at um, currently. You know, we we often speak about uh, HCD, um, human center design, but there's lots of trend, and some of them are coming back and forth and disappearing, and some of them are staying, but you personally, what is your favorite trend uh, in HCD in 2021? It doesn't have to be a buzzword. It can be just a passion of yours, or just something that makes you sparkle, or you, you hear that specific, um, um, I mean, trend uh, is a word that I, I don't want to influence your questions. So I prefer to just use the word trend, but please, I would like you to share with me uh, what's your uh, heart and mind uh, at at the moment. And um, yeah, I will start again with Serena because you're just on my right. So, Serena, it's up to you.
3: That's yeah. No, I would. I, would like, I was about to put my hand up anyway. So thanks. I mean, this. I, I've thought about this before when you sent when you sent the questions through and. Out of all of the, the trends, you know, within HCD, when we, HCD is kind of becoming, you know, a very, very, you know, standard baseline expectation, just way of doing things now in general. Um, and I think for me, at least, the, the movement, I would call it instead of a trend, is really around thinking about it as humanity-centered design. Um, you know, this for so long, designers have been thinking about building beautiful products and services in a a how might we lens and I think that I'm really inspired by the movement of designers starting to think of at at what cost not just how might we Um, really taking the whole picture into the view um, you know how how we imagine uh, you know human centered design with with the human in, in the center is a very very selfish and kind of egotistical view of the world, because it's not just about us. And I think that we're at a very interesting shift now. I mean, we always have been, but especially now, particularly um, from, a, from a social impact and from an environmental impact. I know that's one of your big passion areas, Vita, as well, um, of just how can we design really, really positive, things, products, services, businesses, that, that leave, leave a positive impact on this world and actually consider the broader costs of you know, that, that triple bottom line, you know, the social and environmental. Um, and I think that we're starting to see some of that rigor and some of those frameworks being built into the way designers approach their work and the way that they um, solve problems, the way that they see the world and the way that they measure their impact um, and so I'm, I'm really excited by what we're seeing in the space. Um, there's many, many great examples of just great designs that aren't just thinking about um, humans at the center, they're taking into consideration humanity as a whole. Um, so that's one of my big, big passion areas and how I always kind of anchor myself in my own practice. Um, and yeah, keen keen to hear what what you think about that, Vita, as well. I mean, you've yeah, been working from a social impact perspective and working in service design as well. Um, yeah. well. Whether or not you call it that, or you just do it with your eyes closed while you're sleeping, it sounds like.
1: <laughs> I wish, <laughs> so I'll I'll jump on that as well. So um, actually, yeah, um, humanity. I mean, humanity-centered design has always been my passion, especially with um, uh, post-traumatic um. Uh, Uh, topic, whether it's uh, before I started to move more into the strategic design or service design lens, I was um, very curious about post-traumatic architecture, but other area that also I'm really interested in at the moment and really happy to see uh, it's been discussed more is a circular design or attached to a circular economy, which is related to what you're saying as well, how uh, now we're not only design linear, but how we design actually that is to be a recycle or upcycle or uh, thinking about the waste stage as well or the life cycle of a product, not only until it goes to the graveyard or we put so much waste into our uh, landfill. So I think more and more organization also and industry has adopted that, which is very uh, exciting to see and really, really space that um, being um, tapped into by a lot of uh, big organization, especially fashion. I see quite common. I recently just actually saw a, um, without trying, is it okay to put a brand? So i just put like one big brand out there, just put um uh, a job title actually for circular um, designs for surface design. It's a fashion industry, so, which is like very exciting. And you know, I mean, I'm just gonna put a brand, Nike have its own circular design uh, lab where they really look into from selecting material to all the way recycling packaging. I think it's, yeah, it's it's really fascinating. And um, as a designers, so I'm really happy to see this keep happening. And um, I think we could, Create more impact as well for our society or environment, and and money wise as well. It's so much beneficial when you can um, implement this circular design. So yeah, so that's that's
4: me. Yeah. I think it's
0: been really interesting. If I can just jump in, if you don't mind, Priscilla, I think it's been really interesting to see over over COVID and even you know maybe a little bit beyond that. Before that, the rise of um, all the direct to consumer brands that are having a lot of success that have sustainability or circular economy at the core. Like, who gives a crap? Uh, the toilet paper brand and like Zero Co and all of these different businesses. I mean, I get hit up with Instagram ads all the time um, of these different direct to consumer brands that, um, that are really taking this seriously. And, and they're, you know, I think they're doing really, really well from everything that I hear from the sort of industry conversations that I have, you know, that's really tapping into consumer demand as well for, for these kind of products and services.
3: Yeah, it's it's been an interesting trigger, COVID, for that, in the sense of when humanity feels like it's threatened, what consumers are gravitating towards almost instinctively of supporting brands that are more sustainable, that are more um, have a stronger credibility and social impact. um, That it's it's really triggered uh, quite an emotional response of how people are choosing to spend their money.
0: Absolutely,
4: I think Astra has i was just going to um, i'll talk about a different trend um telstra uh, is one of the largest operations in the country has also um has also it's a kind of leading the way of in, in companies of its size committed to you know many things that are really hard to do for a company of our size uh, don't quote me on this and and refer to the official website but um carbon neutral by 2025 um Telstra is actually one of the three or four largest consumers of energy in Australia. It's very counterintuitive. Um, but we've got a huge infrastructure, right? There's a lot of power that we consume. So carbon neutral by 2025, which is, you know, which is obviously you need to buy carbon credits and that's how you kind of, you buy cleanliness, so to say. Um, but they've not stopped there. They've gone ahead and um, also committed by 2035 of reducing net footprint itself by 50%, which is a much harder goal, as you can imagine. Um, But to your respective points around um, the the relationship between preferential treatment uh, and potentially a price premium that that might command in the market um, from a consumer perspective as a reward for brands um, who are either doing something um, constructively in this regard or at least very successfully showing that there's something that I think that's a risk that we should always be aware of the green, greenwashing as it's called in management is a very real thing. Um, and I think the, you know, the, the average consumer is is very susceptible to that well, maybe not this particular panel. Anyway, I digress in terms of trends, uh, it's CD, someone mentioned HCD. I think it was a arena it's kind of become the way of doing things these days. Uh, I feel it's, you know, it's, it's to product strategy, and product design now, and I'm talking about product design in a slightly broader context, uh, what agile is now to software development, right? it's it's the thing. Uh, it's very hard to say that no, I am not human centered. Um, but I wouldn't expect anyone to say that either because uh, just like with agile, um, if you if you'll allow me to use the word, there's also a lot of bastardization, right? Um, so when things become trends that also mean that, uh, they will be, they will become buzzwords and, 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 you know, maybe the context and the principle and the underlying, uh, values that it was supposed to bring to the table are lost. And I see that in agile, even more than with a CD, to be honest, you know, uh, agile is now cover is a, is a cover up word, right. Oh, but we're agile. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I feel like ripping up my hair when I hear that, you know, that's, that's like, that's, the, it's like, you know, it's whatever it means to you, um, from a particular uh, ux centric perspective which is i think one of the sub-disciplines if you can call it that within the NetCD, um, i think the main trend i'm seeing and i'm very glad this is happening um not just in 2021 but over the last few years is specialization right um uh, now Brombin mentioned how she is from an era um that that one person did everything so to say uh, and maybe the you know the, maybe the the market hadn't evolved and certainly hadn't evolved the way it has today. But look at how many specializations, firstly, we have on this chat amongst ourselves. We are all HCD professionals, but we're quite different in what we can deliver. I think there's some commonalities, but the differences, I would say, outweigh the commonalities. Um, look at how companies are set up. Telstra, we have uh, service design as a separate chapter. User experience is a, set, a separate chapter. Uh, Visual design is a separate chapter. Content design is a separate chapter, right? Um, And I really like the fact that there's depth which is coming into design because design is too broad to be a generalist term in my mind. Um, You know, I've written an article. I said that it's akin to saying I'm an engineer. Um, My response to someone saying I'm an engineer is that's good, uh, but what kind, right? Because I'm likely going to be interested in a particular kind of an engineer uh, unless I want to learn math. Or something like that which is you know some sort of common denominator that they might have so i i really like the fact that you know there's a ux chapter and and there's a lot to do within that and ux was always of course a little bit of a thing uh before some before service design became the in thing i guess um but you know i also feel very heartened that now visual design and ui design you see the number of roles that are dedicated for ui designers that was not the case even five years ago in australia Right, uh, the wages were very different, and I also think that there's better parity now between the roles for a UXer versus a service designer versus a UI designer, if if, if he or she is a pure play designer, which I think is recognition of uh, the deep skills each of these unique skill sets brings to the overall table, as well as uh, you know uh, uh, an example of the maturing face of the Australian industry i must say that this was you know we are slightly behind the curve when it comes to design adoption as compared to maybe the united states and as reflected in many places whether it's ac- academia whether it's uh, industry uh, whether it's things like specialization um so that that i think is the main trend that i see i think it's not necessarily a pre or post covid thing certainly in the last four or five years it's happening and and i think it's a welcome trend as far as i'm concerned because because it recognizes that there is a a fair bit of depth in each of these specializations that you can, if you want, uh, build a career in.
2: Yes, that's great. Thanks, thanks, Harvey. So humanity-centered design, circular economy, and specialization uh, of the society. Uh, Bronwyn, what is your favorite trend for 2021?
0: You know, I'd say two, which is terrible. The first one is actually connected very much to the to uh, the life center design or humanity center design. I think there's the sort of um, the move towards purpose um, in everything that people do. You know, that desire to for for people for like designers to work in purpose related work and and to do that kind of thing, but the, for consumers to spend their money that way, but also for businesses and brands. And, and we talk a lot about unifying brand promise. And customer experience, you know, quite often there's a big gap between what people businesses say that they do and what they actually do, and they tend to spend a lot more money on talking about what they do, and a lot less money on actually fixing the actual experience. And so we, uh, you know, we're lucky with Fjord to work very closely with the monkeys, um, and uh, they're part of the, the Accenture Interactive family and you know they're all about they're an advertising and comms agency but they're very much about brand and brand strategy. And, you know, we are spending a lot of time working very closely with them to try and really knit together these two things to really kind of make sure that when you make those promises, we can help to keep those promises. And a lot of the work that we're doing with brands is trying to find work with them to find a purpose that really connects to something more meaningful than like, uh, you know, shareholder value or profits or financial metrics alone, you know, to really, uh, to Serena's point, you know, find these other um other ways to define success. So, for example, working with a bank whose purpose is around financial well-being, um, how can we really make that real? How can we make that real and not just sort of vaporware or something that sits, you know, in a corporate website? How can we make that real in the experience um, through through touchpoints? Or for an insurance company whose purpose is all around help, how can we make that really real? So, we're doing a lot of work to really try and connect those two things um and then the other thing that we're doing just down the other end of the spectrum is around a lot more um data-led design so a lot more experimentation and a lot more um uh using using data to really help us to make decisions uh around design so we we do a lot more um, experimentation so going beyond um you know before we we would you know come up with ideas and concepts and then you would validate them through you know concept testing or you know further down the line usability testing what we're doing a lot more now is actually putting uh, customer value propositions in front of customers um, as a a hypothesis and so we'll create an offer we'll put it in social media or we'll, we'll create a fake website and we'll send people to them and we'll say oh when this product arrives you know, we'll, we'll let you know, but give us your email address and we'll let you know when it arrives. And it's just a really great way of very early on getting data around how much customer traction you're going to get around the value proposition mm-hmm. and therefore being able to move forward with confidence and then using that same experimentation mindset all the way through that sort of product development Um Uh, um, sort of life cycle. So, so we're doing a lot of those projects at the moment, we're doing a lot of experimentation. um, And we're also using a lot of behavioural economics, as well as a tool set to help uh, nudge people, you know, to help, you know, provide people with more motivation to sort of go through a path and removing all of those blockers through that path, using what we know around, you know, how people make decisions and how rational they are. You know, avoiding dark patterns and you know doing things that are that are you know not in the customer's best best interest, but certainly also using you know we do a lot of work with government agencies, for example, you know you, you know trying to create behavior change, um, for example, like some of the COVID stuff, you know trying to you know get people to book COVID uh, appointments, and so that behavioral economics understanding is I think you know a, a really interesting frontier. Same social impact, same circular economy, knowing how to move people in the right direction to get to outcomes. As long as we're doing it, you know, with the planet in mind and not just a profit in mind, I think then, you know, it's a really interesting trend as well.
1: It's really interesting you mentioned about the data led and experimentation, because at the moment in our um, team, we're also doing um, kind of like similar thing. Similar thing. That's why we're pairing the CRO part very closely with the ux and ui so even when we test our new uh, branding for example even the icon set, we we go with the um, a b testing straight away and targeted that so then we now whatever we're going to put in our design system that's actually already being tested so yeah. um, i think yeah it's really exciting to see more and more that design no doesn't see it. There's, it's not being seen as fluffy anymore because, well, it's never been fluffy. But people conception or mis uh, understanding or perception of design is like fluffy there. But actually, it's very scientific. We're always testing everything. But now, I think it get that understanding uh, a little bit more by the uh, the wider public. Yeah, yeah,
3: which
1: is yeah.
2: perfect for my next question, which is in one sentence. Um, uh, why is agility important to your work? So, you know, you've just uh, talked about uh, uh, experimenting, life cycle and iterations. And uh, in one sentence, could you just, you know, throw um, a quick idea on, um, on why uh, agility and being agile, even if it means uh, different things to different people. For, for me, um, working as a business agilist, uh, it's about uh, how how you, you deliver, and uh, you spoke about um, how now you make your decision based on data or based on um, real um, uh, outcomes. Yeah. So yeah, so I throw it back to you in one sentence or in really short uh, ideas, uh, why and how is uh, agility uh, important in your work?
3: I mean, one sentence, I might not get it down into just one sentence, Um, but it's really about staying on top of trends and and being able to consistently flex towards what customers are saying. And so as to to Bron's point as well, you know, needing to evolve their their business needs to meet disruption. So whether that's looking at data-backed insights, whether it's behavioral, economic-backed insights, combination of a whole range of different insights, it's it's how do you constantly have that mindset so that you can foster that culture of innovation um, and change quickly so that being agile and having agility isn't something that feels like hard work. It's something that's, that's you know, truly, truly embedded into, into the organisation. So, and, and for, for me, that's, that's the nature of what we do. We're trying to future-proof organisations by ensuring they stay agile. Great, thanks, Irina.
4: That was uh, uh, that was a uh, fairly brief. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a good challenge that you you played down the gauntlet for us to follow. Twelve seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can I can attempt um, something similar, uh, to say that. Why is agility important for me? I think we need to go back to why 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 did we end up with agile as a concept? And in, in simple terms, my view on agile is, and I'll link it to UX in a second. My view on agile is best summarized by by something like this quote that I recently gave, which is you you need agile, we are agile and not waterfall by virtue of being agile, um, because it's almost a resignation to the fact that you'll never know enough, right? If you can know what you need to know, you don't need to be agile. You can make good predictions. But the fact is that understanding stuff is inherently hard, understanding people is even harder throw in markets, throw in context, throw in economics, it becomes almost impossible in my opinion. So if that's our grounding and therefore we need to be agile, think of it as a small step, right? So it's just minimizing risk because you don't know what what you're gonna step into. Um, And again, as a grounded researcher and bringing that background into UX myself, my view, both from a product strategy perspective and from a more general UX research perspective is, we need to be agile because we'll be continuously learning and we will be continuously learning because we cannot fully learn. That's a fact. Um, and if someone can magically know everything, then you don't need to be agile, but it, it historically experience has taught us that that's not how things end up. So that's how I would say, um, and that's how I would look at ag- agility and, and say why, you know why we've ended up in the position and why we likely continue in this sort of a direction. What do you think?
1: Okay, I can try, I think. <laughs> so I'm um, pretty much agree with um, uh, what you guys said, but I'll separate agile and agility. I see as agility as a DNA of human-centered design, because even uh, from the, the essence of it, you need to have agility to be a human-centered design practitioner, because you don't decide what's going to uh, happen, because you have to test, you have to find out, You everything is hypothesis, everything is scientific anyway. So Agility is the only way to do that, because if you fixate it, then you can't achieve it. So that's why agility is really important. So you could uh, take your tools, change your timeline, whatever, but um, it's not a fixed um, thing. So when it comes to design approach, yeah, we have principle and method that we do. But at the end of the day, uh, our problem probably dictated, our finding probably dictated. So that's why agility is important
0: for me it's important uh, i think if we look at our current context we have seen over the pandemic an enormous amount of behavior change you know the whole flow of life has been reversed we used to go out to do everything whether it was shopping education going to work going to you know the gym and during covid and lockdown and everything has to come to us and so we've all had to make huge changes in our behavior um and and, and so that's changing customers. And so we've got this all this uncertainty in the, in the world, uncertainty around, um, you know, the vaccine and the rollout and how quickly, you know, we're gonna get out of this, uncertainty around the economic impact, you know, and the debt that we'll have to pay for years and years and years and, and, you know, big impacts, especially overseas in terms of the economy. And then you've got uncertainty around, you know, these behavior changes and what is gonna stick and what is going to sort of bounce back. So for organizations trying to have a sort of a clear strategy in all of this uncertainty is, is really difficult, and the pace of behavior change and the, the the rising tide of customer expectations is so enormous that if you're just not agile, if you can't you know shape shift your whole organization with all of these changes that are happening in the market and with customers, then you know you will uh, be irrelevant and you will not survive. So I think you know it's just absolutely critical, to, to, to Serena's point, uh, it's absolutely critical to to be able to deliver to customers' expectations and changing needs to have that agility as an inherent organizational capability.
3: Yeah. Well, it's
0: actually, it, it's, a, it's a DNA almost, it's not a capability. It has
3: to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you've just made me think of a, a really nice example of, if you don't mind me sharing and just, I, I love this example of just staying agile and, you know, pure agility in its form. Um, if, I don't know if anyone's heard of Amazon's uh, Build It program, it's this, I think that they launched it a couple of months ago. Um, I was just reading an article about it recently, but it's, it's this great idea where they effectively, they present customers, all Amazon customers with some of their favorite product concepts that I guess they come up with in some kind of ideas lab. And then the customers tell them which ones they want to, they want to see built through pre-ordering them. And then the people who pre-order them are the first ones to get it. And so they effectively end up, funding the build of this product and so it's it's entirely human-centered but it also de-risks the business as well and so they end up being able to be much more daring and they can try new things Um, like I think the most recent one was a a cuckoo clock post-it note something Um, but they can try all these really interesting things knowing that they've ticked the desirability in the desirability, feasibility, viability bucket, and they've got that. And they've got the money to back it from their biggest fans. And they get to learn so much about what people want. And if they don't end up getting the desirability for the product, they just give the money back. And then so they've created this really, really fun, low risk kind of high reward system where they get to really understand the behavioral economics of their customers. It's data driven. Uh, it de-risks the business um, and they get to build exceptional customer relationships out of it. And they seem to be quite pioneering in the products that they can spit out. And it's just this great example of human-centered agile. Um, and so I just, I just thought it'd be, it'd be great to share that one because it really, it really ties in a lot of you know, what we're seeing. And the only thing that it doesn't tie in is humanity-centered design because they're probably gonna be building a lot of crap but people want crap sometimes, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not building uh, solutions to save the world yet. Um, so that is the missing link, but you know, in a picture, um, as a system, I thought that that was quite inspiring t- to hear about.
2: Yes, thank you for this example, uh, Serena. It's definitely uh, what, um, what it is. Um, we actually, our companies, uh, and I think that we, you know, we all work for corporates, need to adapt and innovate. <laughs> I work for a company called Adaptovate, which is actually adapt and innovate. And uh, we actually use, you know, like um, agility as a mindset. Um, yeah, so thank you so much for uh, all of you for, for sharing that. Uh, so uh, on my next uh, questions, I will um, ask you again around your passion and uh, any update you would like to share with us. So Vida um, hasn't, uh, hasn't mentioned it, but uh, she's been um, uh, talking about social impact on a TED, uh, TED talk. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I have a X. question for-
1: There's an X, not Netflix. TED
2: talk. I yeah. was yeah. X. <laughs> it was still a pretty impressive talk and really interesting. And I advise you to, to all go to that one. I will provide the link. Thank so, Priscilla do you have uh, a passion or would you like to update us uh, or do you have any update you would like to share with us Uh, any conference you will participate soon or uh, any conference uh, you will attend uh, and you're particularly uh, attached to or would you like to share how to stay in touch with you
3: um i'm i'm i mean i think i've sort of talked about my passions i've you know, successfully been able to to weave it through the last fifteen minutes, so I don't really think I need to address that too much. Um, conferences coming up, uh, I'd love to go to Strategy Fest, which is a virtual conference. It's being held on fifteenth of June, I believe. It's a global conference, and luckily it uh, aligns to the um, the Sydney time zone, so I'm very happy about that. Um, but that's that's one of my. That's one of my passions, and I'll be there as an attendee. Um, so, you know, might, might see you on a screen, might not. Um, but for anyone who wants to stay in touch to learn more about strategic design, um, Isobar in general, LinkedIn is probably the best place to, to hit me up. It's generally where I'm most responsive.
2: Perfect, thanks.
3: Are we next?
4: Um, yeah, well, we can make it easy by saying LinkedIn for me as well. Um, start in reverse gear easiest to find me there um i also write quite a bit so um, if you look me up on medium on ux collective you'll see stuff there if you're interested in terms of conferences i don't think there have been much and i i feel that i really missed the the actual physical conferences i i did attend uh i did attend and speak at ux india uh, last but it's last year now isn't it um and uh, and yeah I live in a politically correct world but it was nowhere Compared to what previous conferences were, so I'm I'm being more selective than perhaps I used to be with where I go, uh, just to make sure that you know it's it's worth um, you know worth, worth my time. Um, but of course, you know there are there are bright spots in 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 so many uh, a, any conference or just like any book you're going to read. It, it, there's going to be some stuff that's either you know or is not very interesting for you, and then there will be other stuff that that you know is, is gold. So I think that's really up to the individual to to glean for that sort of stuff. And and you need to be an active listener or contributor to be able to do that. Um, My personal area of ongoing interest, which I'm very reluctant to seed, even though my work almost requires me to do none of it, um, is human-computer interaction. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in touch on the academic side. I'm a member of CHI, which is the you know the ACM body for um, human-computer interaction. Um, so there is the CHI annual conference um, on human factors and interaction, as well as the mobile-specific one now called Mobile at CI, again, being done remotely at the moment. Um, I'd love for more people to, to bother attending them, because ninety uh, percent of people in those conferences are obviously from the academic world, but I can tell you that uh, it's a lot of fun if you are interested in, in you know, um, in slightly more detailed understanding of, um, you know, of, of of especially slightly more rigorous way of testing and then presenting data and, and and you know managing to get published in a journal and stuff like that, even though it might not be pertinent to your day job. So that would be my. Um, my call, as well as a, almost a mini request to, to anyone listening.
2: Great. Thanks, uh, Arvi, for sharing. So just for you to know, a few years back, um, I've, I've done a certification in um, UX design. And Arvi was my instructor. And he's been just amazing. So I'm really happy to, uh, to cross paths again and uh, to see where you're going. And I'm also really interested in uh, uh, human uh, and machine interaction.
4: Absolutely. Let's talk more about that offline and I'm very happy to see you as well again.
2: Yes, yes, thanks. So, Vida and Bronwyn, which one of you would like to share uh, first your...
1: Sure, Uh, since you call my name first, I'll just go, (laughs) probably. Um, So an update, uh, probably area that I want to, I'm still interested in, uh, obviously circular economy and circular design, but my passion has always lies in social impact. So anything that related to social impact, even the conversation with a lot of designers in there, whether it's youth engagement, I'm always looking for that and happy to attend that. And also the next conference that I would like to attend is actually from this uh, design leadership forum of um, InVision in so Asia-Pacific one. They're talking about design maturity. So I'll attend that as a uh, participant as well. So I uh, came to hear uh, from all these uh, design executives about uh, how the design maturity happening in the Asia-Pacific. That's probably the closest one uh, to me now, I think so. I haven't seen anything else yet. So yeah, and thanks for um, having us uh, Priscilla. Thanks.
0: In terms of conferences, I'm actually presenting at a um, a, a keynote and a master CX masterclass next week for UITP, which is all about sort of customer experience in public transport. So that is next week. Um, And another thing that's coming up is um, a design leadership program where I'm doing a global masterclass as part of the ECHO's School of Design Thinking. So it's a a program that is being run. It's basically for design leaders. And it's a global cohort where, where you get to basically have 12 masterclasses and 12 regional um, workshops with different global design leaders um, every week. Um, so I'm participating in that. Um, I think my thoughts not until September, but it's uh, they're looking for um, uh, people to sign up right now. So uh, do check that out if you're interested.
2: Nice, great. Please share the link of um, of all the conference you spoke about and I will add them. So we are almost at the end. I have uh, two last questions for you and I will ask them uh, together uh, to answer. So the first one is, um, uh, it's a question we are asking every guest on the Backlog post, uh, podcast, which is... Um, uh, would you have a podcast to recommend one? And my second questions before uh, we close out is, uh, what is um, your little word of uh, wisdom? Do you have a motto in life or what would you tell your 10 years old self if you could go back in time? So, and it's back to you, Serena.
3: Uh, podcasts I'm loving at the moment are Scott, Galloway's Prof G show. He's a very enthusiastic individual who just spends 45 to 55 minutes launching into trends, mostly in digital tech investments, uh, emerging technologies. um, And he gets on really, really interesting people from the industry to unpick and unpack things. And it's quite funny and it's quite, um, you end up learning quite a lot, but you don't realize that you are uh, at the time. Um, and it's just, it's just a very hilarious, engaging person. Um, so I would recommend that. And bu- Business Breakdown is a new one that I've just recently found. It's not not that popular, it doesn't have that many views, but it's a it's a good little nugget. So it's very good, they spend every episode. Um, deep diving into very very successful businesses, sort of best in categories. So they'll look at Netflix, Shopify, Wix, Amazon, Ethereum, and they'll they'll go through and they'll very very rigorously unpack their business models, their customer journey maps. You know what forms their economic moat, and they normally get investors from uh, those businesses on the podcast to talk about why they're so strong and what their value proposition is and what makes them such such great um organizations and, and teams so that that's a really good one if you just want to nerd out on business models um, and one of uh the the kind of word of word or more it's more phrase of of wisdom that's really stuck with me uh throughout that someone told me when I was in a um startup accelerator program for my first business. Oh, it's my second business. And uh, we were talking about prototyping and we were just so close, so closely wedded to the thing that we were building. And uh, the word of wisdom was, was, you know, Serena, if if you're not completely embarrassed by your first launch, then you launch too late and the ship's gone. It's left. Trainers left the station. So that was what stuck with me. Cause every time I feel like it's not ready, it's not perfect, people are gonna laugh or if you don't look back on it thinking, oh my God, that was so bad. Like that was such a rough entry to market. Um, if you don't have that experience, then you've waited too long. Uh, and that, that's my kind of my, my goal, my gold standard that I keep to myself when I'm experimenting.
2: Thanks, Serena. Avi? Uh,
4: podcast, uh, Dare to Lead, Brené Brown. Um, I was very pleasantly surprised at how awesome it was, to be honest. I was, I must say, a little skeptical. Um, having studied leadership formally, et cetera, I was like, maybe a little arrogant in, in you know, what else was there to hear, listen. Uh, but believe me, there's plenty. And, you know, she's done a great job of obviously breaking it down and contextualizing it as well which I think is particularly relevant for anyone leading a large team in this post-COVID world as well. So like I mentioned, that is a particular area of interest for me as a a creative leader of some sort. Um, Word of wisdom, I don't give you two uh, very briefly. To designers, I always tell them, um, and I've heard this from someone else, so certainly not my own quote, which is um, strong opinions loosely held you know, go in thinking about something, but don't hold on to it because it's yours. Uh, use it to provoke thought and let it go as soon as something better comes up. So that kind of links to what Serena has also said, which is that, you know, your first design will be your worst design sort of an approach. Um, and I think that's very important because uh, we, we need to be able to disassociate ourselves from our work doing what we do. The journey map is not you, the interface is not you. Um, and if your into the interface doesn't work well, that doesn't mean you're not awesome. Um, so I think that's a very practical, but I will take this opportunity to make a slightly more lighthearted one. If I was to, and this is only for myself, if I was to advise my 10 year old self of what I should do differently, I'd say uh, brush your teeth twice a day because it's too late now um, and learn math properly because it's beautiful.
1: Thank you. <laughs> um, all right, I'll jump in. Um, uh, this is HCD. Uh, is one of uh, the one that uh, I like to listen. This is probably quite uh, popular anyway uh, around uh, designers out there. Pretty straightforward. Uh, a lot of the topic that they choose are really interesting, from um, uh, post um, like uh, trauma and um, uh, inclusivity and all of that. Um, so you can check the list yourself. And in terms of um, sentences, that one thing that. Uh, I learned from myself, especially with the passion for social impact and sustainability and all of that, which is um, if you want to um, feed people, um, you need to be full. Otherwise, you're going to end up stealing the bread. So, basically, um, that's kind of like what I learned because from my previous, when I tried to do my Um, my business and still working um, uh, here and there but then didn't think about the business model as well so that's kind of like it's ended up become a project because you can't if you if you still don't have the right capacity so basically it's going back to that sustainability so that's one that I keep talking to people and I think that's also not only about design but also about if you want to help someone you need to have yourself help first so that's all about focusing on you then you're going to get that positive impact to others. But other things that more work related probably that um, I could share as well. One of my um, uh, my team members asked me uh, when uh, they just joined, are you the kind of leader that we need to ask permission to do something? Or you're the kind of leader that just do it and ask for forgiveness later? And then I say that I'm not. I'm actually the type that make friends so you don't even need to ask for permission or need to ask for apology so that's kind of like other things in terms of stakeholder management I guess so make friends with people that's it so that's me thank
2: you
1: um so uh, I'm gonna
0: do two again I'm not very good at choosing one clearly am I so just building on your, Serena, I think a, a great one is uh, Masters of Scale, which is also about sort of all of the big um, uh, startups, but it's all about how they got to scale. And it's by Reed Hastings of Netflix. And he interviews all of the founders of all the big, you know, uh, digital giants. Um, really good. And then the other one, I'm going to give a plug for our, my very, our very own Andy Pallain, uh, who has created a podcast called The Power of 10 which is, Andy Pelain was one of the design directors at Fjord, He's a you know um, he wrote the book on service design back uh, in the day, very uh, accomplished, um, very interesting, very intelligent, and he interviews lots of different people on different topics around design leadership. Um, and then um, in terms of sayings, I can't actually, I think the one that I say to my 10 year old all the time, I have a 10 year old, so I can tell you what I say to them all the time, and that is something that my father always said to me, which is do it and it's done which is just a really simple motto to live by, but it's actually very useful um, in terms of sort of bias to action and just getting stuff done um, and sort of ticking things off and moving forward. Um, the thing that I sort of say to, would say to sort of my team um, is around uh, partnerships over projects which is really more about like how can we make sure that we're focusing on the outcomes that we're trying to get to and not just the project and the deliverables and, you know, the end of this 12-week thing, you know, how can we really help to get to the outcomes for the customer, for the client and really make sure that we're we're making impact um, and not just thinking sort of short-term.
2: Great, thank you so much, Uh, you are truly beautiful people and uh, I enjoyed the conversation really much, so uh, thank you Vida, Serena, Bronwyn and uh, Avi uh, for being with us, Uh, it has been a fascinating conversation, I wish sincerely it was longer. but not for that time it will be for another time Um, if you enjoyed this episode uh, please subscribe to the backlog and leave a review Uh, and you can find uh, adaptovate on all the socials uh, including linkedin instagram and youtube